Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. A ton of bricks is about to fall on a conservative icon of the Supreme Court. Another one. ProPublica is clearly poised to expose that the fascistic Samuel Alito, the man who overturned Roe v. Wade and cited a 17th century witch sentencing judge as he did so, has his own version of Clarence Thomas's Harlan Crow. And Alito's Harlan Crow is named Paul Singer. And Paul Singer is a billionaire hedge fund manager and one of the funders of the fascist website The Washington Free Beacon. And whatever exactly it is that ProPublica has compiled, it is bad enough that Alito not only has issued that rarest of denials, the preemptive denial, but he has done so in the form of a really sloppy, panicky op-ed that the Wall Street Journal editorial page rushed to publish last night. And in so doing, the Journal and Alito pretty much confirmed who the Journal's informed sources have been, close to the court, dating back to even before they speculated that John Roberts was trying to talk a few other justices down from the Roe v. Wade ledge and into a compromise. That their informed sources are all named Sam Alito, and Sam Alito has been leaking Supreme Court debates and decisions like a sieve and could at least in theory be prosecuted for it. From what Alito denies that ProPublica hasn't accused him of yet, 
It appears Alito accepted at least a free flight on a private jet to Alaska from this singer, yet did not recuse himself from a case before the court that was worth as much as $2,500,000,000 to a company owned in part by this singer. Alito says he didn't know Singer had anything to do with the company. Even if he did, he didn't have to recuse. He didn't know the seat on the plane had any value. He wouldn't have had to disclose it even if he had to and had known and had to and had known. And if you think I'm being gratuitous when I describe Alito's response to this in the paper as sloppy and panicky, he refers in his first sentence in the Wall Street Journal to a, quote, financial disclose report. This is Alito, who isn't honest, isn't democratic, isn't law abiding, but is also fiercely arrogant and never panics. And he wrote this thing so fast he eluded his own spell check. Alito's opinions and dissents Sometimes strain logic and credulity, but even he has never written anything this laugh-out-loud funny as an excuse for something. Quote, as for the flight, Mr. Singer and others had already made arrangements to fly to Alaska when I was invited shortly before the event. And I was asked whether I would like to fly there in a seat that, as far as I am aware, would have otherwise been vacant. It was my understanding that this would not impose any extra cost on Mr. Singer. This is exactly the same as going to the airport and asking the nice man over at Delta if you can have a seat to Paris. And then when it's time to pay, you say, I don't have to pay anything. The seat would have otherwise been vacant. It was my understanding that this would not impose any extra cost on Mr. Delta. And to take the lack of logic one step further, if Delta actually then said, "Uh yeah, you're right, skip it, whatever. You then leave the cost of that flight off your taxes because if it had value, why did they give it to you for nothing? I mean, even for Alito, none of this is really convincing. And the I don't know him, I didn't have to know that I knew him, I didn't have to disclose it, and the seat was empty anyway, defense is so weak that it's about a foot away from saying, I ran out of gas, I had a flat tire, I didn't have enough money for cab fare, my tux didn't come back from the cleaners, an old friend came in from out of town, someone stole my car, there was an earthquake, a terrible flood, locust, it wasn't my fault, I swear to God! Oh, and besides the sense that Alito's move... Let's blow up ProPublica before they publish. Suggest this is about way more than one free ride on what? The spare tire in the back of the plane? And apart from the Wall Street Journal's willingness to print this from Alito, and as noted, apparently not even proofread it, and apart from the reinforcement of the theory that Alito leaks to the journal, that's why he sent them this rather than, say, sending it to ProPublica in a... What do you call those things? Um, Email. And apart from the fact that the former FBI executive Pete Strzok wrote last night, wait, an Alito free private luxury jet trip to Alaska with Paul Singer, the same Paul Singer who initially funded Fusion GPS's oppo work on Donald Trump. World sure is funny, unquote. Besides all that, there's also another irony in here. The case that ProPublica will presumably identify as dirty was a suit involving NML Capital and others against the government of Argentina. In 2001, Argentina defaulted on $95 billion worth in bonds and offered creditors 33 cents on the dollar. 
NML Capital refused and sued, and up it went to the Supreme Court. And nine years ago this month, SCOTUS voted 7-1 to one in favor of NML Capital and the others. And guess what? That dissent, the one, that wasn't Alito. And there's a newspaper column which shows Paul Singer's involvement in the case before the court, and it's not exactly subtle. The case included, quote, a subsidiary of Paul Singer's Elliott Management called NML Capital, which is owed some $2.5 billion in principal and back interest, unquote. And that newspaper piece was published on the Wall Street Journal editorial page. And Sam Alito might be able to get away with a lot of denials in his life, but not one person is ever going to believe him when he says, I, I, I don't read the Wall Street Journal editorial page. Meanwhile, Dementia J. Trump is at it again. His stalking horse running against Biden, the famous and crazy political fortunate son guy, he and the other Republicans and the libertarians are propping up as a challenger to try to sow chaos in the Democratic primaries. You know the name of the man I'm talking about, right? Robert F. Kennedy Jr., right? (laughs) No, sorry, you got the name wrong. And Biden, he's got somebody at 21 percent. I just saw a number, 21 percent, JFK Jr., who's a very nice person. I know him very well. Uh, He's a very, very fine person. He's at 21 percent. That from the second half of his interview with Brett Baer on Fox News Channel. And I have to admit, Brett Baer made me happy. JFK Jr., says Dementia J. Trump. Baer, more in exhaustion than in anger, says, Robert, Robert. Trump never even notices it. He thinks that's JFK Jr. As to the rest of the Trump interview, in a surprising development, Trump did not confess again to any or all of the 37 counts in the documents case. So we'll just have to stick with all of his confessions from part one on Monday night. In another surprise, there is that rarest of political news stories now, new polling that is both insightful and newsworthy. The NBC poll shows 59% of Americans think Trump should end his campaign now, and 11% more say he should if convicted. A majority approves of the indictments, though 71% say politics played a role in the decision to charge him. But what does the word politics mean here? If I think he should never hold political office again, is that politics? If I think our system of politics and government will only be preserved if he is in jail, Is that politics? Is it for the average respondent to this NBC poll? What does politics mean? What isn't politics? Anyway, there is news in the poll. The percentage of Republicans who think he should end his campaign now is 26%, and that is still on the margins. But keep it filed somewhere. It's a quarter of Republicans who think he should drop out today. Because also, the Republicans' first choice for their nominee is still Trump, but it's now 47%. A month ago, it was 53%. And the biggest growth among the other candidates is, impossibly enough, Pence. Pence has gone from 6% to 9%. But the real inside statistic, one month ago, before the indictments, Trump was viewed favorably by 77% of Republican voters. Now, 67% of Republican voters. A 10-point drop in anything is a trend worth keeping an eye on. Watch that one the next time they ask, 
after the next round of indictments. By the way, if you heard that the trial of the United States of America versus Dementia J. Trump has been slated to commence by the Trump-appointed Judge Eileen Cannon on August 14th, relax. Don't make your reservations. Not one person who has ever been in the same room as a law textbook thinks it'll actually start that day. Cannon is notorious for choosing the earliest date possible and then letting the delays start knocking it back from there. Besides which, we also have to wait for Alito's next op-ed in the journal denying that he knows Trump. By the way, I also have a message for conservatives who are angry about Hunter Biden's plea deal and Trump's indictment and Trump's other indictment and Trump's upcoming indictment and Trump's later indictments. The message for conservatives is this. We don't care. The rest of us, we don't care anymore what you think. You believe laws do not apply to you, and especially not to Dementia J. Trump, and you bemoan weaponized government when the only thing you really object to it about it is you believe you do not own the weapon permanently. Think what you like. You're wrong. We never should have indulged you nor argued with you. We're going to stop that now. We don't care anymore. The country is not biased against you. Just because you're paranoid, that does not mean they are out to get you. The Hunter Biden prosecutor was appointed by Trump. This FBI director was appointed by Trump, and the only political pressure applied to the Trump documents investigation was on his behalf. The Biden administration gave him a full year to give it all back and then gave him more time after that. And even now, it would probably take a plea deal with him. And oh, by the way, Trump is incredibly guilty. He's treasonous and traitorous enough to merit capital punishment, which he will not get because we are squeamish. And if you don't believe all that reality... We don't care. We don't care anymore. Believe what you want. You believe what you want anyway. This is where reality leaves you behind and the argument ends. We don't care. There are still millions of rational Americans, and by that I mean people who are not conservative, who still in their hearts think that they might be able to convert grandpa or talk their old friend back off the QAnon ledge. Forget them. It has not worked. It will not work. Stop wasting your time. I don't know what we do about them now, but essentially they are dead. And I might add, for many of them, the fuel to their insane conservative fire is our efforts to fix them. I will not fix them. You will not fix them. They will make it back to reality, or they won't. You should save your energy for the effort to rehabilitate them if they actually do seek help. Otherwise, our focus can only be this. Defeat them. Kicking their cult leaders out of office. Stripping their attorneys of their law degrees. Marginalizing them in culture and entertainment and business. They think they are marginalized anyway. Why shouldn't we gain the advantages that would come with that and with the blame which they already heap upon us? The Hunter Biden plea deal matters because in some senses it draws a perfect picture of the destabilized terrain upon which conservatism is built. Here is a Nepo baby. Well, Nepo babies, that's the point of conservatism. He's got hookers and blow, the breakfast of conservatism. He's a gun owner, the real addiction of conservatism. He's got his inalienable Second Amendment rights, the litmus test of conservatism. 
and he was prosecuted by a weaponized Department of Justice, the stigmata of conservatism. And they've had to treat him, their brother, like an enemy. Hookers and blow on the Second Amendment. Walking over this bed of hot coals has shaken the conservative movement. There are only so many rationalizations. Well, he had the wrong kind of hookers. And, and about the guns, he didn't shoot anybody. And the guy at Justice who got him to plead to an ownership while drug abusing charge that they never prosecute, that guy was appointed by, by Trump. Hunter Biden has deranged them. Lol. Also of interest here, well, well, embers from the Elon Musk, Joe Rogan, Peter Hotez debate thing with JFK, RFK, Sr., Jr., whoever, J-F-R-K, I'll take it from LaGuardia instead, whoever it is, embers from that flared up again yesterday, and Megyn Kelly got involved long enough to make worse persons, and not because they threw water on her and then she said she was melting. In fact, she said... That's next. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you run for office or take on the country's biggest problems, but they can help you solve one of the peskiest problems at home, pests. You know, the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, even the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know intricate political strategy, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it, Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
this is Countdown. This is Countdown with Keith Oberman. Postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline New York Times headquarters here in Big Town. Do you see what happens? Do you see what happens, Larry? Do you see what happens when you don't know you're the butt of a long-running internet joke? No, not Larry David. For years, people have made fun of the New York Times for its op-ed pages, particularly when those pages try to force culture into a political box or politics into a cultural box, or sometimes both at the same time. One running gag, advanced brilliantly by the Twitter account New York Times Pitchbot, is the painful Maureen Dowd column in which a movie or musical plot is twisted to fit her thesis. The most recent, quote, Joby Dick Orcas are attacking Pequods all over the world, but the only great whale Biden is hunting is Orange by Maureen Dowd. No, she didn't really write that. Another theme is the In This Ohio Diner Times formula and the frequently seen column titled How X Explains America. You can put anything you want to into the X movie, book, TV series. Yesterday, the New York Times either leaned into the gag or much more likely stumbled into it without knowing. It devoted nearly all of its op-ed section to a series of How X Explains America. How Ted Lasso explains America, how her explains America, how a hazard of new fortunes explains America, how ragged Dick explains America, how the great Gatsby explains America, how South Park explains America, how rappers delight explains America. There were 17 of them in all presented in full seriousness. Only one was missing. How bad New York Times editing explains America. Even more harrowing, yesterday's New York Times opinion section featured very possibly the most irrelevant, trivial thing ever printed in the New York Times. A guest op-ed was titled, What America Could Learn from Skip and Shannon Undisputed. Skip and Shannon Undisputed, for those few of you who don't know what it is, is a television show. Kinda. It is a cable sports debate program ripped off from an ESPN cable sports debate program for which Fox Sports literally hired away from an ESPN sports debate program, a host called Skip Bayless. All such programs are the same, with the exception of ESPN's Pardon the Interruption, which is the only one of all of them, and there are 17 million on the air right now, designed to be as succinct as possible. Half an hour in total, about a minute, maybe 90 seconds per topic, tops. All the others are there for only one reason— to kill as much TV or radio time as possible. The heroes of this profession, the well-paid ones, are those who can say one thing and take 27 minutes to do it and then say it again and kill off another 27 minutes. Or, to put it in their terms, to kill off 27 minutes of time and then to kill off time in the total of 27 minutes. A hint of racism underneath the conversation usually helps to say nothing of a strict avoidance of anything more complicated than who is undoubtedly the greatest player of all time this week. Fox hired away Bayless from ESPN in 2016, and six and a half years later, the Bayless show on Fox averages 200,000 viewers a day. 
at this rate of growth. It debuted with 107,000 viewers. So let's say it's adding 100,000 every six and a half years. That means it will reach a million viewers a show sometime in the year 2075. Or it would have if Bayless's co-host Shannon Sharp had not announced he's leaving. Anyway, I read this New York Times op-ed written by an editor of a Catholic literary journal twice. And I'm still not sure what America could learn from Skip and Shannon Undisputed, other than that that which may surprise some of the millions who used to watch this Bayless on ESPN, which is that he did not retire or die in 2016. He merely went to Fox. The piece seems to suffer from something I have never seen before. The contention that sports debate on TV and radio is well done or is somehow necessary or would somehow be missed if it all disappeared tomorrow or shows us how different people can talk to each other productively or something without, I guess, stabbing each other or that people watch and like Skip Bayless or know what the name of Fox's cable sports network is. I used to work for Fox's cable sports network. I was the senior correspondent for Fox's cable sports network, and I don't even know what the name of it is. But now it's in the New York Times. It belongs to the ages. It's all the news that fits. I am expecting the New York Times will soon offer me an op-ed titled, How What America Could Learn from Skip and Shannon Undisputed Explains America, by Maureen Dowd. Still ahead, oh boy, somebody got me talking about Citizen Kane, the great movie again, and so I had to tell the story of the day I met one of its stars and did not know I had met him until after he left. Not good, Keith, not good. Next in Things I Promise Not to Tell. First, the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. Bronze, the 2024 Paris Olympic Organizing Committee. Its headquarters in Saint-Denis, outside Paris, and the French public body in charge of building projects for next summer's Olympics, both got little visits yesterday, raided by the French department in charge of investigating financial crimes. The president of the French Olympic Organizing Committee had resigned last month. France's National Rugby and Soccer Federation chiefs both resigned earlier this year. Remind me again why we have Olympics? The runner-up, Liz Truss. Does that name ring a bell? A distant bell? You know she was Prime Minister of Great Britain last year? Then again, who wasn't? And when she took office, there was just a little expectation that Liz Truss wasn't going to make it. London's newspaper, The Daily Mail, started a live stream of a head of lettuce to see which would last longer, the lettuce or Liz Truss. 44 days later, having crashed the British economy and lost the support of her own party, Liz Truss was forced out. The lettuce won. But no hard feelings. Asked by the Irish network RTE what she thought of the live, local, and late-breaking lettuce, Liz Trust has now replied. She snapped at the question, then said, quote, I don't think it was particularly funny. I think it's puerile. Liz, yeah, but think about how the lettuce feels. But our winner, Megan Kelly, the fired Fox and NBC starlet, who now keeps the world's camera filter manufacturers in business, Largely because I don't want to have to go through all this again, I'm going to assume you know the entire Joe Rogan, 
RFK Jr. Dr. Peter Hotez debate nonsense? Anywho, Hotez has now tweeted that he's hoping to stay on Twitter and other social media, but it's stranger than ever, especially for scientists like him. Kelly thereupon chimed in with a two-word message for Dr. Hotez, quote, grow up, unquote. Grow up. Megyn Kelly is the shrillest, whiniest, most self-absorbed, most self-martyring, loudest crying complainer on Twitter. She is a veritable overflowing toilet of umbrage and unrighteous indignation. And she is telling somebody else, somebody who actually contributes something to society to grow up. Megan, what is her appeal again? Kelly, today's worst person in the world. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you run for office or take on the country's biggest problems, but they can help you solve one of the peskiest problems at home, pests. You know, the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, even the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know intricate political strategy, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it, Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. to the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me and things I promised not to tell. And I swear, I thought, I heard her say, Carlton. This was also December. 
1985 in Los Angeles. And if you've never spent Christmas in a warm metropolitan area for the first time in your life, you do not know what disorientation really is. I had just completed three months in my new job as the sports director of Channel 5 in L.A. I had spent most of November adjusting not only to it not getting cold, but to the fact that almost nobody else noticed that it was not getting cold, except one of our production assistants who sprinted through the parking lot and up the stairs into the little bungalow on the KTLA lot in Hollywood that housed our sports department. He shivered like a dog shaking himself awake and announced, My God, it's bitter out there. Bitter. I checked. It was 49 degrees. So, December 1985 was already weird enough. I was doing well in L.A., being 3,000 miles away from everyone and everything I knew had been surprisingly helpful, and there was no ramp-up time for my work. I'd already won a couple of Best Sportscaster awards, and then the top all-news radio station was asking me to come over every afternoon and split the afternoon drive sportscasting shift with a guy who'd been on the air there literally for 30 years who's one of the voices in the background in the Godfather Part 2. And now, somehow, my producer Ron Grelnick and I were headed to the Beverly Wilshire Hotel to go interview Mickey Mantle. For the average L.A. sportscaster, there really wasn't much reason to interview Mickey Mantle, which is why all of them at the bigger three network stations had turned down the offer of a sit-down interview. But I was a New Yorker and had been three months earlier, and thus Mickey Mantle was my idol. And moreover, when I became a baseball fan in 1967, my folks bought tickets specifically behind first base at Yankee Stadium because they had just moved Mantle there from the outfield. And as my dad said, when you are an old man, you will say the greatest thing you ever saw in baseball was Mickey Mantle. So you might as well see as much of him as you can. Well, I'm an old man now, and my dad was exactly right. Mantle was on a tour publicizing some kind of hitting video, and he would do one exclusive interview with an L.A. station at, like, exactly 5 p.m. on that night in December 1985. And to get it, you had to agree to give the video exactly one plug and ask him one question about it. But otherwise, you could ask whatever you wanted. You had 15 minutes, then he was going out to dinner. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Dinner. So Ron and I pulled up to the Beverly Wilshire in his car, and I had never been in, but I had walked past it a dozen times, and I knew there was a new wing and an old wing, and as Ron tried to park, I tried to find the room where Mantle would be waiting for us so I could be there to meet the camera crew that was joining us from some other shoot somewhere, and also because he was Mickey Mantle. I had met him before. I had even interviewed him briefly for CNN, but nothing like this. Nothing like a sit-down interview. Just me and him. The room number was something like 897. Could have been 597, could have been 1297, but it was basically the highest number there could be on a given hotel floor. And I saw the elevator just past the registration desk, and up I went to the eighth floor, and it was a deserted labyrinth turn after turn and nobody there and then suddenly i turned a corner and walking towards me was the most elegantly dressed older couple i had ever seen to that point or since she was wearing a mink stole atop a beautiful gown and she had a diamond necklace big enough to induce cramps she had a piercing, glistening set of deep brown eyes. She looked to be in her mid to late 50s, but might have been older. He 
was older, maybe 80, but with a full head of thick and wiry hair. He was tall, thin, extraordinarily elegant in a perfect tuxedo. But all of this was overwhelmed, almost erased by one fact that startles me still 37 years later. This man was wearing a cape. I'm pretty confident that I had never seen a man wearing a cape before. I know I have not seen one since I have been looking, and yet it looked so good on him that I can recall briefly thinking, Keith, maybe you should buy a cape. This couple was perfect. We seemed to be the only people on the floor. The hallway wasn't all that wide. I said good evening as I passed. She said good evening, and in so doing revealed a British accent, and he mumbled good evening and revealed what sounded like the lingering minor aftermaths of a minor stroke. They walked their way, I walked mine, and my focus returned to finding Mickey Mantle in room 897. The numbers of the rooms I was passing were like 811 and 814, and after a few more turns of the labyrinth, it dawned on me that I must be in the old wing of the Beverly Wilshire, and the high numbers like 897 must have been in the new wing of the Beverly Wilshire. I also noticed that I had not passed a doorway or a vestibule or some kind of connecting bridge to the new wing, so I had better make it back to the elevator and the lobby before Ron or the camera crew made the same mistake I had, because Mickey Mantle was waiting. I reversed course. I began to trot. After three or four more of these labyrinthine turns, I found, to my shock, that the perfectly elegant older couple, he was wearing a cape! was standing exactly where I had left them. She laughed. She mentioned something about the higher numbers being in the new wing, and everybody made that mistake. I thanked her. And then she said, You're the young man who does the sports on the television, aren't you? And I had gotten pretty popular pretty fast there, but being recognized was still very surprising, and pleasantly so, and I said that, and I introduced myself. So nice to meet you, she said. I'm Patricia Carlton, and this, she pointed to the guy in the cape, is my husband. He slowly extended a hand, but shook mine vigorously. And I'm Joseph Carlton. Mrs. Carlton was very excited. You know, Joe and I, we really are not fans of the sports. But whenever we're at home in Palm Springs, we make sure we stay up until the end of the 10 o'clock news so we can watch you. Joe nodded and smiled in the cape. You're so clearly enjoying yourself that we find ourselves enjoying it too. That's really quite remarkable. I was genuinely touched and remained so. I explained my dilemma. I treated them as you are supposed to treat viewers, gratefully and solicitously, and I asked them if they were going to the lobby and if I might walk with them so I didn't get any further lost. We'd be delighted. I must ask you, Mr. Fishman, who does the news on your program, is that his real hair? She saw my shock at the question. Joe and I have often worn wigs, and we can't be certain. That means if it is a wig, it's a good one. We reached the elevator bank, and I pushed down. He was walking slowly. He must have had a stroke. Still, he was an imposing figure of a man, and not just because he was wearing a cape. As I steered them away from the subject of our anchorman's toupee and talked instead about my Mickey Mantle interview, I realized he looked extremely familiar, like I knew him. Joseph Carlton. I kept rolling the name over in my mind. And Patricia Carlton. Who are they? The elevator light went off and a very loud bell sounded. The doors opened and there was my producer, Ron, 
and the two-man camera crew and the reporter who had been with them on the previous story, Sam Chu Lin, who had stayed with them because he wanted to meet Mickey Mantle. And as I joked to my new friends, Joe and Patricia Carlton, oh, look, here's my camera crew. Its four members made no motion to even leave the elevator. They all looked dumbstruck. Sam Chu Lin's eyes looked like they were about to pop out of his head. I assumed this was because my new friend Joe was wearing a cape. Finally, I got the crew to move. I held the door open so Joe and Patricia could get into the elevator. I actually said, such a pleasure to meet you. And of course, thank you so much for watching Channel 5 News at 10. And she smiled warmly and he managed a quick wave and the doors closed. And only at that exact moment did it dawn on me where I knew him from. The blood now drained from my face as I turned to talk to the camera crew and Ron and Sam. Uh, you guys knew who those two people were, right? Sam laughed at me. Of course we did, didn't you? And I sighed. Oh my God, she said her name was Patricia Carlton. And that was her husband, Joseph Carlton. And she said it that way because she's British. And that's how, if you're British, you would say the name Cotton. She's Patricia Cotton. And he's Joseph Cotton, who was in Citizen Kane. I remember I actually put my hand on the wall and my face in my other hand. I just met Joseph Cotton and I didn't recognize him. And the cameraman, Martin Clancy, who also often said things like this, said, pretty stupid of you, huh? And I said, y you know, you have no idea how stupid. I mean, obviously, I know who Joseph Cotton is. And Sam Chulin said, you sure about that? I gave him a dirty look and I said, no, no, it's worse than this. In 1948, the president of the International Joseph Cotton Fan Club was my mother. There is a picture of that man with my mother from like 37 years ago at the Stork Club. They all laughed. Then Sam Chulin said, uh, in that photo, is he wearing that cape? My gaffe did serve to relax me a little for the interview with Mantle. My gaffe, when I get over it, I'll let you know. So anyway, we all reached room 897 or whatever it was in the new wing of the Beverly Wilshire. And as the crew set up, I managed to tell the story of the Cottons to Mickey Mantle. And he said, yeah, I saw them in the lobby a couple hours ago. He's a great actor. I met him in New York. Must be 30 years ago. Did you say hi? Oh, right. You just told me you didn't recognize him. Mickey Mantle was busting my chops. As I said, I had met him before, even interviewed him before, but this was our first sit-down, and he was in a good mood, even expansive and playful. And at one point, he stunned me. I said, I know you only have a couple of minutes left, so, so forgive me if I'm bringing up something that takes more than a couple of minutes. And he interrupted, and he said, take as much time as you need. I'm enjoying us talking. So I asked him about this one subject, how he felt about what he did in his career, considering how injured he was. When he retired, Mickey Mantle was third all-time in homers. He hit 310 times. He played in 12 World Series on one bad knee and one worse knee. Mantle got very reflective and self-critical. We used this soundbite at the end of his obituary that I would do for ESPN a decade later. If I'd known I was going to live so long, he told me, I would have taken better care of myself and done better. I said, well, he'd done pretty good. 
I could have done better. I thanked him. Then as the cameraman moved to get the shots of me nodding and repeating a question or two, Mickey Mantle said, that was really good. I flushed. I got to ask you something. Can you give me some pointers? I suddenly had no idea what the word pointers meant. Pointers? What are pointers? Mantle said he was going to do some Yankee games the next year on cable with Mel Allen. I'm doing interviews after games. I'm no damn good at interviews. Just now you were moving from topics to topics so smooth. How do you keep all the questions in your head? Now I laughed. I didn't keep them in my head. Didn't you see my cheat card? And he laughed and he said no and I showed it to him. I said it's just a business card with like seven key words written on the back. If I think I might freeze up because I'm nervous because I'm interviewing Mickey Mantle or I just met Joseph Cotton and I didn't recognize him. I make one of these cards, I hide it in the palm of my hand, and if I get stuck, I can just look down quickly and see one of the words, and I've got the question, I've got this card to remind me. Mickey Mantle's eyes glowed. But wait, he said, we're using these mics, and he pointed to the clip-on on his shirt, so, so you don't have to hold a mic. What do you do if you have to hold the mic like I'll have to in an interview after a ball game? What if the card would fall out, or you have to shake hands with the player? And I said, well, just write the words on your hand. Whichever hand is holding the mic, like below the thumb. Mickey Mantle looked at me as if I had just given him the secret of eternal life. Wow. He said, that's great. I'm going to write this down. Thanks. And we were packed up and he actually walked me to the hotel room door and gave me a double-handed handshake. So it had been a big day. Even if I didn't realize it was Joseph Cotton... Mickey Mantle had asked me for advice about anything. Somehow I had thought of something to tell him, and he was really happy about the advice. And, of course, this provided a punchline the following spring. We were in the studios at KTLA watching on the satellite feed as the Yankees' first cable telecast of the 1986 season ended, and sure enough, they threw it down to Mickey Mantle on the field interviewing some player, and one of my producers said, oh, let's see if he remembers the lesson you gave him, and another one said, here's your student, Mickey Mantle, and sure enough, after the first answer, Mickey Mantle pauses, and I know he can't remember what he wanted to ask next, and sure enough, I see him cheat his look down slightly towards the hand, holding the microphone, and the next thing I see, he's kind of tilted the microphone sideways and he's asking the question but you can barely hear him because the mic is pointing off at a 45 degree angle because he has written his key reminder words not below the thumb on the outside part of his hand but on the palm side of his hand and he's had to move the mic out of the way to read the words on the palm of his hand and the producer says Ha ha ha! Well, now Mickey Mantle hates you! I've done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Here are the credits. Most of the music was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, the Countdown Musical Directors. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. And it was produced by TKO Brothers. John, Brian, and me. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. 
The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis, appearing courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Larry David, and everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 897th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him again while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Forty-one percent, JFK Jr., who's a very nice person. I know him very well. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.